it's actually not my favorite. You're a rich girl and you're gone too far cause Welcome back to Lyrics for Lunch, the show that just can't take this. We swear we tell you the truth. Did that on the fly. I thought that, that was, was pretty good. good. Yeah, that was thank good. You. We do tell you the truth, and we just can't take this. We just can't take this. <laughs> uh, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm your host. This is a show where we do deep dives into famous songs and artists and tell you the stories that you might not know about them. I'm joined this and every week by the uh, i don't know I, I was gonna i was gonna make a ref a reference to the song this week but i don't know what you're gonna do. i don't know if it's gonna be you don't know where it's going it's not gonna be good yeah no <laughs> hello i'm Lindsay tucker uh i am a writer researcher co-host of this show i'm doing fine just fine everything is fine Every, ju- fine just fine everything is fine yes. classic uh, so what are we talking about this week, Lindsay? This week, we're talking about The Killers. More specifically, the song Jenny was a friend of mine. Oh, oh dear. So I've, I've long had like a, the- like a kind of a headcanon theory about what the song is about. So I'm very, very nervous about being either right or wrong. Well, I'm going to ask you your theory in- all in good time. But before we do that, just a quick uh, trip to the mailbag. Vindication department. (laughs) So this is from J.M. Durrett on Twitter, who said, I thought the line in The Cures, Just Like Heaven, was, makes me scream seasick, which, (laughs) okay. And he was talking from her POV, reminiscing about him swinging her around perhaps once she tried to say i'm getting dizzy but said i'm getting seasick and then that was an inside joke i may have overthought this you certainly did jacqueline um but i'm glad to see that you're on my side of mishearing these lyrics seasick seasick (laughs) yeah that was funny I went through because the because the version of the song I listen to m- more often is the Dinosaur Junior one, and I was like, "What if they say s- she's sick?" And like, that's where I got it. Nope, nope, Def- definitely not. <laughs> just, certainly not. Just just wrong. Once you hear it right, it's hard to go back. I know. I fucked it on up. Except for, uh, I think I'm going. Dreams are made of. No, I still hear wrong. That. I still so, hear that. So I still can't hear the concrete wrong. jungle. It's not there. <laughs> um. Yeah. So stay tuned for our. What's that song called? Welcome Empire State New of York. Mind. Empire State of Mind. Gang. She's like gangs <laughs> of New York. <laughs> I said, "Welcome to New York." That's the Taylor Swift song. Oh God. Welcome We're to all... New York. Welcome to New York. All, all right. right. We gotta stop. <laughs> we, this is. I can't I can't do this anymore. Um so today we're going to be talking about The Killers and Jenny was a friend of mine which is the first track off of their debut album Hot Fuzz. Correct. The Killers were formed in 2001 in Las Vegas via classified ad. Hell yeah. So frontman Brandon Flowers told Seth Meyers in 2018, quote, There were these two, three weekly magazines in Vegas, and at the back of them on each one, there was a classified section, and I would kind of scour through. At the end of each ad, they would put what influences you had. Oh, like like musical. Okay, Yeah, what music you liked. And so 
I would just look at the band names, look at the band names. And there was a lot of new metal and a lot of stuff who I didn't affiliate myself with. And then I saw the Beatles. I saw Smashing Pumpkins and Oasis. And I thought, mm, that's oh, close enough for me. <laughs> that's Kyla. I love it. like, not quite. <laughs> um, are you a big Killers fan, Lindsay? I just loved Hot Bus, to be honest. And then I, the so next I, album. I agree. It's diminishing like, returns. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay. So I 100% agree with you. And and I've, like, I have so many things I want to say about the killers and little like trivia bits and factoids. I know this is not my episode, so I'll wait to be cued to, to do so. But um, I really loved this album. Like, Me too. Inc- like so, so much. And my second favorite Killers album is the B-sides called Sawdust, which is the B-sides to this record. And then I think the we're going to talk about Sawdust. We're going to talk about Sawdust? For like I one love Sawdust. Okay, so that's how he met the guitar player Dave Cunning? Cunning? Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Soon after that, they recruited drummer Matt Norcross, and they took to the Messenger Studio in Vegas, where they recorded two songs that Dave and Brandon had written together. One of them, a little ditty we call Mr. Brightside. Yes, I knew that the one of the things that I had known about the Killers was that the first song they ever wrote was Mr. Brightside. <laughs> and it kind of shows. I'm like a Mr. Brightside hater. I don't hate it, but I think it's one of the weaker songs on the album because the melody is just one note. It's pretty fun, like at a wedding. Mm. Um, but I watched um, an early performance of Mr. Brightside that they did, like probably in Vegas, mm. and it was trash. I'm sure it was. <laughs> I didn't even bring it to the show. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've heard some interview with, with Brandon Flowers where he's like, ah, oh, so I wrote the first verse in the chorus, and then I knew it was going to be hits, and I didn't want to like sit on it any longer, so I just decided to repeat it. <laughs> Well, it worked. Did work. Huge song. <laughs> okay, Mr. Brightside. Um, and then after that, Dave's roommate Del Neal joined on bass and they started playing open mics in little cafes around Vegas. In 2002, they met drummer Ronnie Venucci. Ronnie Venucci, who's my favorite Killers member. So then he joins. So then I guess Matt was out, Matt Norcross. Because mm-hmm. I just. I like did a quick Google search for Matt, and it says that he was in the Killers from 2001-2002. Sure. So they get Ronnie, and they're like, "Peace out, Matt." Okay. And then it was <laughs> fuck you, Matt. <laughs> it was around this time that they met Mark Stormer, who was playing guitar in the local band, The Negative Ponies, mm-hmm. and they brought him on board. And then that was the end of Del Neal, the roommate. Oh, by, to you. <laughs> by Del, but Del played the bass, right? Yeah, that's what. So. I they brought in Mark who was playing like lead guitar, but I think mm-hmm. he's played bass in the Killers. Okay. I also know that Brandon does like some synth stuff. Yeah. So he like, does. you know, they switch switch stuff around. Um the Killers got their name from a fictitious band that appeared in the video to the New Order song Crystal from 2001. Mm-hmm. You're shaking mm-hmm. your head. You knew this? I, okay. I I am I am vaguely aware of this. Yes. I'm just going to show you like a little piece of it. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Here comes love. It's like honey. You can't buy it with money. They like sound like the killers. I know. This song sounds like the killers. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah. I get it. Like, hey, what if we did this? What if we like pre- just pretended to be this band from this new order <laughs> music video? For real life. Yeah, the 
I like this. I've never heard this song before. By now, the Killers have released seven studio albums, all of which went to number one in the UK, but not here. Wait, say that again? The Killers have released seven studio albums, and all of them oh. went to number one in the UK. You said by now. I thought you meant by 2002. I was no. like, well, they work fast. No, so by, like, today, by today, by 2022. Okay. Yeah. Um, they've sold more than 28 million records worldwide and close to 11 million in the US. Mm-hmm. According to The Guardian, Flowers was an Anglophile with a burning love for New Order, The Smiths, and Pet Shop Boys. The lyric that meant the most to him above all else was from the latter's being boring. The lyric is, I never dreamt that I would get to be the creature that I always meant to be. That's fun. He also has a penchant for murder. Okay. So this is also from The Guardian. Flowers has a thing about death. Jenny was a friend of mine and Midnight Show, both from Hot Fuss, were about the murder of a girl. He traces his interest back to Morrissey, singing about how he loved the romance of crime in the song Sister, I'm a Poet. In the song Sister, I'm a Poet. I was right. I studied that line a lot, and it's kind of embedded in me, Flower said. What were you right about? So I had, I just recently re-listened to all of Hot Fuss for the first time in years, just like on a whim. And thought that it was sort of this concept album about Jenny's murder. And why, why is that? Tell us more. So, okay. The album opens with, if you, if you take the album as like a single narrative, right? The album opens with Jenny was a friend of mine, which is, is pretty transparently like an interrogation and mm-hmm. the question is whether Jenny's dead or or Jenny's like accusing someone of assault. And then you can kind of piece together a, the, the similar narrative from other songs, including, but not limited to, Somebody Told Me, which was their first huge single, right? And Midnight Show, where it's all, and, and everything will be all right. So like lots and lots and lots, you know, about half the album you can string together in this narrative about this relationship between the singer and Jenny that has disappeared. And now this uh, singer is being accused of Jenny's like disappearance or assault or something like that. Very interesting theories and observations, Aviv. Um, sounds like I'm wrong, but that's okay. I'm not saying whether you're wrong or right. Okay. I'll hold my, I'll wait with bated breath. Okay. So back to the penchant for murder. Mm-hmm. On tour in Scotland, the killers heard the terrible story of Jody Jones, a 14-year-old from Dalkeith. Dalkeith. I guess. I don't sure. know. I don't know how to talk. <laughs> Who was murdered by her boyfriend three years ago. Three years before. Three years before the tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wrote a song. Where is she? The song is called Where Is She? From the perspective of Jody's mom. They played it live a few times, but after an outcry in the Scottish press, they decided to shelve it. Oh, so the Scots were like, you fucking carpetbaggers. Like, why are you singing about this national tragedy that we suffered? Of a 14-year-old girl. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to listen to that real quick. Ooh, I've never heard this song. Mm -hmm. I'm probably going to love it.
your house today I haven't seen you in a couple of days Full driving day with day Yeah, and it's like a little messy, which like their songs were in the beginning, and that kind of went away. On one hand, I've got myself to blame, but on the other, it's always the same. No, I mean it's, but it's uh, it's high on the <laughs> the list of killer songs. Way to now. take it literally. Well, no, sorry. it's actually not my favorite. I also, you also can hear fun elements that are like kind of repurposed or called back to in other yeah um, killer songs, specifically that drum fill of like bop bop bop, which is reused in um, somebody told me. Yeah. I love the drummer. The drummer plays standing up. Standing up? Yeah. He'll like, he has a drum throne and he sits. And then when he like gets really into it, he'll stand up and play the drums. It's fucking so cool and very beautiful. And he looks like Jeremy Piven. Jeremy Piven? Oh, yeah. I guess yeah, I'm going to say that. Yeah, he's the drummer. Um, that's great. And so that's a live version because they probably never recorded yeah, it. Yeah, they played it a couple real. times live and then it was like... So they shelved it. How dare you. That's fucking great. It's not really what we're here to talk about today, is it? No. 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 Today we're talking about what you already named as the first track off of 2002's Hot Fuss. What an album. What an album. We all love it. Uh, and they were really young. Flowers was like 22 when Hot Fuss came out. Fuck. Yeah. And like they truly for like our younger and or older listeners like they came out of nowhere. It did. It was one of those like happy surprising things where like you think life is just fucking mundane and then you can just get surprised by something new by and awesome. New- I was dr- I was driving home from um a girl that I was dating's house. It was like way past midnight and the indie rock radio station in Philly 
would like only play new music past midnight because of course and they're like oh man we've got this new song this is the first time it's being played on american radio yeah right but you know what i mean (laughs) and i remember the dj being like it makes me like dance with my butt in my seat and it was somebody told me and i was like holy shit (laughs) this is like um yeah so that that whole record i i don't know i mean like i'm trying to think of like another artist that so surprised everyone all of us maybe like little little nas x or something mm-hmm. just like totally came out of nowhere anyway sorry i love this album so much me too okay so let's listen to jenny was a friend of mine oh fuck The helicopter also helps the like crime sort yeah. of thing. Yep, sure. It's like a very cool way. This is what happens, by the way, when I'm not a hater, is I just like compliment everything that is <laughs> happening in the song. And it's lame. It's lame. I like it. It kind of it kind of makes sense that they have a guitarist on bass because this bass line is like very complicated and upfront like a guitar riff would be.
yeah, I mean, the first couple, the first time I heard the Killers, if you had put a gun to my head and been like, "What country is this band from?" I would have been shot because I would have just said England. Right. Like this whole album is very, very like English synth rock inspired. Yes, on purpose. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you you mentioned right, like yeah. they love the Smiths and New Order and that kind of thing. All right. So, do you have anything else you want to add about what this song is about? Before before you tell me how wrong I am, I'm not here to tell you if you're wrong. Okay. Um. Yeah. So it feels like you know they pick this guy up, Jenny's missing or something, and he's being interrogated. And what you're hearing is his interrogation. And then you whisper in my ear, "I know what you're doing here." Hmm. Um. And then maybe the rest of the album like flashes back to their relationship of some kind. Maybe. Maybe. Have you heard of the preppy murder? Fuck. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. What is the preppy murder? If you believe the internet, Jenny was a friend of mine was written about the 1986 murder of Jennifer Levin in Central Park. Oh. Which is also known as a preppy murder. Why is it known as the preppy murder? Well, was it, was it like dudes you. in Letterman jackets? I mean, not no. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> um, I'm going to do a quick source plug because most of what I'm about to tell you about the murder comes from the docuseries, The Preppy Murder, Death in Central Park. Great. So it's New York City, 1986. <laughs> of even the future. Exterior. Put in some yeah, city, <laughs> city sounds. New York City, 1986. <laughs> Ed Koch <is> mayor. <laughs> Yeah. Exterior day. Pat Riley, an equity trader on Wall Street, is riding her bike at 6 a.m. when she approaches Central Park. She said maybe because she was a female trader, she felt invincible because this is like a weird time to be riding your bike in the 80s in New York. There was like Mm -hmm. a lot of drug crime and stuff. Yeah, yes. Especially like Central Park and and Times Square were like fucking gross. Um, so as she's approaching the park, she sees a car with blacked out windows driving toward her the wrong way, which startled her. And then as she continued up the hill, she saw the body of a young woman under a tree. Jen. And naturally, she doesn't have a cell phone, but like the body's like all like jacked up. Like it's not like, I just fell asleep. I'm taking a nap. It was like, I'm mangled here. It follows style. Yeah. Yeah. So she keeps pedaling until she finds a phone on Madison and 90th and she calls 911. So the dead woman is 18-year-old Jennifer Levitt of Soho. Um, by all accounts, bright, happy, popular teenager who's heading to Boston for college in the fall. And she grew up in Long Island. She had loved music as a baby, especially the Beatles. Um, her mom, Tick. Ellen, <laughs> said that she would like drag herself up to standing in her crib to dance when she was a baby, whenever uh, her parents would put on music. And she, quote, we just let her party with us. She was a character. Jennifer really loved She loved life. cocaine. <laughs> I got him, but my uh, But when her parents divorced, when she got a little older, her dad got a loft in Sofa, Soho. And she loved the city, so she eventually moved in with her dad and went to school in Soho, like high school, like teenage years. Mm-hmm. At this point, her mom moved into a place in Tribeca, just to be closer. So they're all like living in the city now. Um, and the morning after the murder, pause. Dramatic break. The morning after the murder, Detective Wally Deans, who is commanding officer of New York City Detectives Nightwatch, gets the call around 6 a.m. and he dispatches his team to Central Park. 
and they find the body just past the Met. An officer tells him that a brown vehicle dumped the body and shows him these tire tracks. So he calls a citywide dispatcher and asks every entrance, bridge, tunnel in New York City be shut down in pursuit of this vehicle, but nothing turns up. And so this is potentially the vehicle that Patty saw, Pat Riley saw. So that's like the theory right now. Okay. Blacked out windows, brown vehicle. Yeah. But they don't find anything. Um, And now there's tan lines on her body from missing jewelry, like rings, bracelets. And she's covered in heavy scratches and bruising. They said her left eye was bulging out. And she had these half moon marks on her face that they said were like from like her nails because whatever was like strangling her, she kept trying to pull it down. Claw, claw off of herself. Shit. So Mike Sheehan, lead detective, said, all the years I was a cop, most of our homicides were in small apartments in a stairwell in between two parked cars. So what's the crime scene? 12 by 12, maybe? But in this case, they don't even know where this crime scene begins and ends. And the assumption is that her body's been dumped there. And the chances of finding the killer seem slim. Yeah. I mean, like, listeners, I also host a show about Law & Order SVU. And so this feels like very SVU-y, but also like classic newspaper fodder of yeah. like a pretty white yep. girl is murdered in Central oh, yeah. Park. And so like we suddenly care about all this stuff. And the, 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 the night watch commander is like, it's the most fucked up shit I've ever seen. Like, 100%. Okay. Um, so detectives Wally and Mike go down to Jennifer's dad's house to make the identification. And while they're there inside talking to him the buzzer's just like going crazy downstairs because the press like the is doorbell. already all over it like you were oh, saying fuck. like this is like uh this is like scooby snacks for the press they're like mm-hmm. oh my god like a white girl pretty white girl like you said exactly that yeah. um okay so former on-air reporter mcgee hickey who covered the murder said there were multiple murders a day in other parts of the city usually chalked up to being drug related but quote if something happens to a white person in central park in the 1980s everyone pays attention to it exactly her parents said that jennifer had been spending the night at a girlfriend's house alex legata so the two detectives go and interview alex and she says they were at a ball she says they were at a bar called dorian's a so-called preppy hangout that had a reputation as like a wealthy privileged kids hangout So, like, Jennifer and her friends were New York City club kids. Like, they knew who worked the door. They had glamorous parties at their parents' house who were never home. Like, latchkey kids. Yeah, sure. And this is also another thing that the press loves, which is like, did Jennifer have a secret past? Oh, yeah. We're going to get there. Oh, great. (laughs) It's almost as though I've seen any true crime anything. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, so to them, to these kids, Dorian's is like the mall, like to maybe like me or you. The mall? Yeah. Like you would go to the mall, like. <laughs> to, oh, to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, like, oh, you go to get sneakers? What? <laughs> I don't understand. No. <laughs> Dorian's, there was no bouncer. They didn't even really ask for fake IDs. It was known as a meeting place for underage New York City kids. This is from New York Magazine from a 1986 cover story titled. East Side Story. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> East Side Story is very stupid. Go on. Very stupid. For the young crowd at Dorian's Red Hand. That's the full name of the bar. Wait, Dorian's Red Hand? Yeah. Does this mean something? Yes. What does it mean? So, <laughs> I mean, like, 
not to put my satanic panic brain on. <laughs> but so do, picture Dorian Gray. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the red hand. So uh, there's this thing of like the red right hand of God is like the person who does God's killing for him because God doesn't want to oh. kill. And there's a cool Nick Cave song called Red Right Hand. And in the movie that I literally just finished, there's like a cult in it. And I gave every member of the cult a red right hand oh yeah and so uh, the like i like literally just got an email from one of the actors being like all hail the red right hand <laughs> like less than five minutes ago well so a, re a red hand is a is a bad uh bad symbol bad bad, bad omen bad omen okay well for the young crowd at Dorian's Red Hand, the early morning scene on August 26th was like an unplanned reunion. Many of the regulars at the Upper East Side Bar were just back from their holidays, and they table-hopped eagerly, drinking and laughing and bracing friends they hadn't seen over the summer. We were all in there buzzing around, recalls one. We, had f we all had fun that night. So back to Wally and Mike. Okay. Wally and Mike are interviewing these kids. And they're trying to recreate a timeline for who was with Jennifer and when. And one name kept coming up, and that was Robert Chambers, a friend of theirs. So the de detectives start to think like, okay, Chambers is probably the last person that was with her before she died. So let's mm -hmm. go talk to him. So they go to his house. And as soon as he comes out of the bedroom, he goes from being like a friend to a person of interest, now like a suspect, because he's covered his face is covered in fresh scratches and his Ooh. right hand has open wounds on it and which turned out to have an impact fracture he has a red right hand he had a red right hand fuck <laughs> I'm, I'm creeping myself out now <laughs> so they take him down to the precinct and the cops are playing it cool so they're like asking him about new york prep which is where he went to school like they're like doing their old boys club thing mm -hmm. and finally they ask him about his face and you want to guess what he said? Uh, he fell into a swimming pool. Close. He said that he was throwing his cat up in the air and it was scratching. No, no. <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck you and your fucking heart. You, ha you have had like 16 hours to come up with a lie. And you're just like, I was throwing my cat up in the air. Yeah. Let's see the cat. And then he's like, he's like, oh, you think this is bad? Like check out my chest and he like rips open his shirt and no, shows the cops bad, and his wrong. chest is just like covered in gouges <laughs> like no <laughs> what's his name robert robert chambers robert i'm your lawyer now yeah Shut so robert hasn't even asked for a lawyer bt dubs oh my god matt would be going crazy <laughs> but but robert i'm your lawyer now shut the fuck up you have you have no idea how those scratches got there. I'm not trying to help you get away with murder, but like, shut the fuck up. Well, he says that the last time he saw Jennifer was outside of Dorian's, that they said goodnight and they went their separate ways. And he's like real cocky and arrogant. No. They keep asking him questions for two hours, the same questions over and over again. And then eventually he says, yeah, just like I told you, we left Dorian's and we walked up 86th Street together. That's not what he said before, though. Not what he said before. And you know where 86th Street is leading? The park. Central Park. Oh. So as I said, he hasn't asked for a lawyer, so they decide to get a video statement before he lawyers up. What a fucking moron. Um, I'm going to 
paraphrase some of the shit that he said and then I will also play part of the statement video statement that I was able to find online so he says he got to Dorian's around 11 30 Jennifer comes over and starts talking about her trip to California and her tan quote I really wasn't interested I wasn't all that interested I kept making faces about it and stuff he claims that she asked him to go outside and talk and so they go and they walk up toward 86 toward central park and she asks him to go into the park and he says no and she says come on so they go into the park past the met and he says he's trying oh, to now explain they're in the, to her now they're in the park now they're in the park dude yeah stop talking <laughs> oh he's not gonna stop talking Fuck. um so He's trying to explain to her that he's not interested in her at all, that he wants to go home, but she's interested in him. And she says, let's go sit under this tree. And he says that he's interested in other people, not her. And she freaks out and scratches his face. And he didn't even notice till morning. No. This is what he said. Until he was throwing his cat around. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So she begs him to sit down. So he says, okay, I'll sit and talk, but then I'm going to go. So then she says she's going to the bathroom and then comes back and comes up behind him and she's massaging him and saying how cute he looks and that he would look cuter if he was tied up. Mm-hmm. And he said that he thought that she was horsing around, but she scoops up his hands and takes his underwear or her underwear and wraps it around his wrists, stripping him naked and jerking him off. Robert. <laughs> Robert. So... He said she was doing it really hard and it really hurt me. And I started saying, stop it. It hurts. Robert, I'm, I'm begging you <laughs> to stop talking. You are, you are, you're just literally ensuring that they kill you for, for <laughs> the, the murder of this girl. So let's listen um, to this little clip, which is some of um, this video. She's having her way with me, without my consent, with my hands behind my back, hurting me. After hours of questioning, Chambers finally broke down and claimed responsibility for her death, but said it was an accident. Oh, Watch no, it was an accident. And, and his entire ensemble crumble. Uh, it's a feeling that every homicide detective feels, that you, you, know, you know you have the guy in the ropes. He punched himself in the leg and, and welled up with tears and the sniffles and said, What's my mother going to say? This guy, I, I have to believe that the cops didn't even ask any questions. That they just put him in the room and just let him talk himself into admitting that he murdered this girl for like an hour. Yeah, it was, it went was from, over two hours. He, okay, over two hours. Okay, but he went from it was, it was the cat to yeah. it was the, it, we just, we left each other outside the bar to we walked down 86th Street to we walked into the park to she tried to jerk me off and i said no to she tried to jerk me off again tied me up overpowered me and and but that's it and then oh yeah i killed her because i like hulked out of the underwear that she tied me up with yeah he said that he got his hands free he grabbed her and flipped her over him and then she just didn't move and it was an accident he gave her a fucking suplex also, for the record, he's like 6'4", and she's like 5'2". So this would be like sure. if, if you were like, to me, like if I was like somehow overpowering you and like, oh, I couldn't stop you. Like, no fucking way. Ne- That's no, not happening. Right. <laughs> okay. But, okay. Okay. But, but okay. Robert. <laughs> Where did the scratches come from, Robert? Okay, so click on this. The videotape confession already shown in court 
was released today. She said I looked really cute and that I would look cuter tied up. And I thought, you know, she was just horsing around. She wrapped her underwear around my wrist so they were locked and they were behind my back because I was leaning on my hands. And she just pushed me back on, like this and then got on top of my chest. She was laughing and giggling and making weird kind of laughing type of sounds while digging her nails into me. And this really hurt and I just, I couldn't take it anymore and I was screaming in pain. Chambers got up on a desk to show how he broke free and struck <laughs> the fatal blow. So I reached up like this and grabbed and I came down like that on my hand. All right, she, she's flipping backwards. She came over this way and landed right there, right next to the tree. So I stood up and uh, I pulled up my pants and I said, Jennifer, let's go, let's get out of here now. And she didn't move. The girl's father, who saw... Wait, why would he be like, Jennifer, let's leave? He, if he had to like overpower her i don't know robert you it's not it's not working for me robert okay so he says after he realized that she was dead cuz she didn't just like get right up and go with him right. uh he crossed the street and quote stayed there and stared stayed there mm, and stared mm, did not call for help he mm, just watched until the sun came up and the cops came until the sun came up. <laughs> and he saw the investigation beginning, and then he went home and went to sleep. And when he woke up, he said he thought it was all a dream. Literally or figuratively? He like, literally oh, I thought that. it was a bad dream. Yeah, he said that. When I woke up, no, I thought it literally. was a dream. Yes, I think he thought he was literal. We, okay. Hang in there, bud, because it's just And the cops worse. are like, we believe you. Obviously, they don't we, believe him. Women are whores. <laughs> of even the future that's not the pull quote <laughs> um the women are whores is definitely a theme but that's not the theme right of this minute so 100%, this minute I, there's no way that we were going to get out of this without <laughs> women are whores <laughs> so they show him the photos of her like she's all busted up completely strangled so now he's like really doubling down on the like she raped me mm -hmm. men get raped it happens it absolutely does happen not to robert though and they arrest him for second-degree murder. So, as I have alluded to, the press is all over this. They're young, rich. Everyone's commenting on his appearance that he looks like a movie star. And, like, I guess he kind of did look like, um... He's in Goodfellas. Didn't he? Oh, Ray Liotta. Ray Liotta. Okay, if you... May he rest. <laughs> he he kind of looked like a young Ray Liotta. A little, yeah, a little bit like a young Ray Liotta. He's got, like, a big thumb face like Ray Liotta did. Uh, yeah. May he rest. <laughs> uh so okay so literally people are like he looks like a movie star and they both went to prep school newspapers are yucking this up yeah yucking Jack this up is a new catchphrase from Lindsay. <laughs> it is <laughs> no because it's not a thing i've ever heard before have i been saying it a lot <laughs> he's yucking it up <laughs> no i just never literally have never heard it before this this very second <laughs> What the fuck does that mean? Yucking it up. <laughs> well, there's there's a few definitions that give me give me give me one. Don't seem to go with what what right. I'm saying. <laughs> to laugh boisterously and enthusiastic. Go ahead, yeah. yuck it up. I'm glad go you ahead, think my up. misfortune is so hilarious. I mean, I guess the newspapers <laughs> were kind of doing that. <laughs> I guess they kind of were. Look at this poor fucking dead girl. <laughs> uh yeah they were yucking it up so they're yucking it up 
Jack Littman is a lawyer that's hired as Robert Chain- Chambers' lawyer. Well, he's at Rikers. Okay, so he's arrested. He's charged with second-degree murder. He's at Rikers. He retains this guy, Jack Littman. Yeah. Littman is known for dragging victims' reputations through the mud. Great. So, so we what, love to, you love to see it. What is the story he's planting in the press? Oh, she was a she was a, a slutty girl. She like slept around, and she had this. She was like obsessed with him and stalking him, and he turned her down. So she lost it, and he was just acting in self defense. Yeah, the big headline is rough sex. She was killed oh, during yeah, rough right. sex because yeah, yeah, BDSM. She wanted it right, right. Yeah, right. the of course. choking How could marks I are because. They were having rough sex. Because she likes it. Yeah. And she basically slutted her way into death. And this is what happens to women who like sex is that they die and they deserve to die. Correct. Right. I mean, incorrect, but correct. This is, this is the, the general <laughs> consensus of 1986 Society. and also today. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, yeah, it's not a murder. It's an accidental death. And they're interviewing all these teenagers on TV who are saying, like, Robert is a really nice person. It had to be an accident because, quote, every girl in school had a crush on him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely couldn't be a murderer if people like you. Uh, Rosanna Soto, a TV reporter at the time, said that. Actually, no, she didn't say this. It was an old white man that said this. I can't remember this guy's <laughs> name. Uh, but this old white Some guy old white said before O.J. Simpson, the preppy killer was the trial of the century. Really? I guess. So. I guess. I mean, sure. It, it's before our time, I guess. But. It's like white male beauty, power, money. Mm, New York is light. up. Yucking it up. <laughs> That's our new t shirt. Yeah. Check out our Teespring for yuck it up. <laughs> so Linda Farstein is the lead. Farstein. It's Stein. I don't know if it's Stein or Stein. Uh, we're going to go with Stein. <laughs> Linda Farstein. <gasps> Uh, Linda Farstein is the lead prosecutor, and no woman had ever tried a murder case in this office yet. Wow. So, okay. Okay. That's, like, not something that we should just gloss over. Right. It's like, we were also living in a time where, like, they're like, can lady lawyers do this? Oh, yeah. Like, the dude that thought he was going to get the case, there was, like, a whole, I just didn't give him any airtime in my notes, but in the documentary he's like yeah i was pissed am i pissed about it today hell yeah like that should have been my case blah 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 <laughs> but this also like speaking of oj simpson this was like something that's echoed in oj simpson with marcia clark she was like running point on this and everyone's like what about her bangs yeah what about her outfits she cut her Why hair is she wearing purple mm. uh okay Stupid. well we deserve yes. this <laughs> we deserve what we get in this country country sucks I mean, every country sucks. Humanity sucks. It's true. So Linda is now going and talking to Jennifer's friends, too. And they talked to Alex Legata and Alex left Dorian's with a guy. So Jennifer was alone, left alone at the bar. Does Alex have any like indication of whether Jennifer actually liked this guy, Robert, or not? Um, yeah, she did. So people are like, Jennifer liked him. And, like, she would flirt with him, and they would hang out and, like, have sex sometimes. You know, they were, like, they weren't boyfriend and girlfriend, but they were lovers. Sure. Robert actually went to Dorian's that night to meet another girl, Alex Cap, who was 16, by the way. Oh, good. Yeah. Just just a little sprinkle on the top of that Sunday. Yeah, just some casual statutory rape. And 
she was his girlfriend. They are girlfriend boyfriend. I hate this. So 19, 19 and 16 is like bad, but not like insane. But like, don't bring your 16 year old girlfriend to a bar to do a murder, to do a murder. Like, <laughs> no, like what's what? What would you say your thought process was, Robert? Well, he was going to meet Alex there like that night, but he showed up like three hours late. Alex is the girlfriend. Yeah. So okay. I forget why, but they'd like gotten in a fight and Alex was like, okay. meet me at Dorian's at eight. And she said like, we never would have gone to Dorian's at eight. Like we usually would go at like 10, 30, 11, but like I wanted to talk to him and that's why I wanted him to come early. And then he mm-hmm. didn't. And he came at like 11 and like blew right by her and just like just being a dick. And then Jennifer went up to him and is like, you know, hey, like, Flirting, hey, they're talking, boy. laughing. Yeah. yeah. So Cap gets really pissed, Alex Cap, because she's just like, this guy, my boyfriend, doesn't come to meet me. We're supposed to have a serious talk. He blows me off. He walks right by me. He goes up to another girl. They're like, obviously, mm-hmm. like laughing and so he's throwing it in my face. So she said, and she- it seems like Jennifer doesn't know a lot about the context of this, maybe. Yeah. I mean, even also- if she does, it's just, just deserve to be murdered, but like, you know. There was none of the friends, yeah, it seemed like none of the friends maybe knew as much about her because maybe she's 16 or maybe they're just like trying to protect Jennifer and her death. Like no one really talked about like, oh, like Jennifer is sleeping with Robert, but like his girlfriend is Alex. Yeah, Yeah, like I don't know. But so Alex said she had some condoms on her and in the interview, she's like, I have no idea why, but I like had these condoms on me and I like walked up to his face and I was yelling at him and I threw the condoms at his face and I I forget what she said. She said like, use these with somebody else because we're done, like something like that. That And and then like Jennifer was like laughing. (laughs) Okay. So, (laughs) I mean, okay. And Robert... I mean, by Robert's account, Jennifer's laughing and he got super mad and the cops were like, why were you mad? Like, what made you mad about this situation? And like, he never said, like, I was mad at Alex for embarrassing me. He's like, I was Mm -hmm. mad at Jennifer for laughing at me when I was embarrassed. Like, you can see like the rage kind of boiling. So I assume that Jennifer was laughing at the 16 year old, but Jennifer was laughing at Robert for getting condoms thrown in his in face. his mind we have no idea in, if the girl least, even yeah, cracked right, exactly. a smile but in robert's mind who's telling the story yeah he's he had his pride hurt sh- and yes. that is and jennifer the, laughed and that is a that is a crime worse than murder to dudes like this yeah witness statements corroborate the this whole dorian story that they left together and that jennifer like wanted to go with him that's it yes that she like went with him willingly we liked it so the headline, Jenny killed in wild sex. Mm. Jennifer courted death. These are the literal mm. headlines. They're slut shaming her that she fucking, quote, asked for it. It, it. it would be nice to say, oh, wow, we've come so far. But we literally truly haven't. No. We, would, we would do this exact fucking thing today. This was exactly like Amanda Knox, like that Foxy mm-hmm. Noxy. I was just, th- I was just thinking that Foxy Noxy. And I, I watched the Foxy Noxy thing so long ago, but I was like, this is literally from what I remember, like the playbook. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't happen by accident. Obviously not. 
No, I wasn't. I wasn't like lecturing you. <laughs> I'm not sure if you knew this. This is all calculated. <laughs> Let me mansplain the patriarchy to you. No, no, no. <laughs> now they're looking into Robert's family, and they find out that his dad is this guy Bob Chambers, and the lead detective actually knows this guy because Uh-oh. he frequents the detective's dad's bar. N- no, almost every day. No. And he's not, but he's not a rich, he's not a rich guy. And he never once mentioned that he had a son in like all but, the years that they knew but, each other. But still, the lead detective in, in a murder case shouldn't be like, oh yeah, my dad and his dad are friends. Oh, totally. But, but not rich. They're not rich and they're Irish immigrants. And his mother was like a private nurse for prominent families. She worked for Jackie Kennedy at one point. Oh, wow. So she, they're doing okay. They're doing fine. But she, because she like, was in the homes of the well-to-do. Like she always aspired for mm-hmm. that for her son. So she had like these aspirations for him to rise up the social ranks. And she would like try so he's a pretender. push him into places where he could succeed. Yeah. So she sent him to Choate for middle school and he got kicked out. Then he went to Browning where he got kicked out for stealing a teacher's wallet. Uh, and he ended mm. up at New York Prep. He had terrible grades. They dug up all these letters from the headmasters like to his mom constantly like he might not graduate if his grades don't improve like Robert's doing really poorly. So they're starting to understand a bigger picture. Why? And, but why are we not character assassinating him in the paper? Oh, because he's not a woman. Because he's pretty. In, he's in pretty general. Pretty. And he's like good looking. Yeah. But she's good looking. She was. Right. Yeah. I assume. But that's working against her. Right. It's okay. But it's like it's like just so obvious. It's like, oh, this guy's like had a bunch of history of crimes and is like doesn't do well with anger and like like being rejected and he's like a a, a pretender to his social class. Like, I wonder if we should be worried about that. Did she like to be tied up in sex though? Cuz if so, she definitely deserved to be. He is killed. totally innocent. Yeah. It's not even she deserved it. It's like he's innocent. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so they're starting to understand like this bigger picture of like Robert is not exactly how he looks on paper and what the friends are saying. Um, And they go and they talk to Alex, the girlfriend. And she described him as quiet, respectful. respectful. He was her first boyfriend. She said they connected because they both wanted to be famous and they felt like they didn't belong. God, I hate this. (laughs) Um, she actually said in her interview in like modern day that she was the opposite of helpful with the police because her feelings were so wrapped up in Robert and she felt like they were really in love. Sure. And like, and I, I can imagine like, even if she was like trying to like spill all the guts on him, if she has an ax to grind, it's like not gonna, it's not gonna work. Right. She's like, and another thing he said to me was this, like, that's not going to be helpful. <laughs> right. Okay, so detectives had his phone book. Like, you know how people used to have, like, a little... Like a black book? Yeah. With names and phone numbers. Mm -hmm. So they call everyone in it to find out as much as they can from him. It's Mike Sheehan and Linda Farstein. So they're calling... Linda (laughs) Farstein. They're calling everyone. And at first, everyone's saying, like, oh, he's such a nice guy. Must have been an accident. But then they're, like, bring out the photos. And they're like, okay, but look. And then people start cracking and telling stories about like, well, actually, Robert was actually stealing jewelry for coats from people's parties, from their parents. 
um, someone's like parents' Amex cards. They stole someone's Amex card and Dude. like rented limos and went on shopping sprees like with shit they stole out of people's houses. What the fuck? So, but my, so what, why did they lie at first? So one of the girls who was like best friends with Jennifer was reflecting on how like it's so interesting because we knew that like Robert and some other people would like steal from these parties. Right. But we were like all friends and like we just looked the other way and like I have no idea why. Elite deviants. It reminds me a little bit of like only murders in the building. Like those like rich preppy kids that are all just like stealing each other's shit. Yeah. murders. I mean, doing murders, yeah, but when you're that rich and you have that much money, I mean, I was thinking how, like, my, one of my good friends would always, like, whenever she went to an away game at another school, she would, like, Mm -hmm. steal stuff from the kids' lockers, just like high school paraphernalia, so we would have, like, central sweatpants, you know, Mm -hmm. from other schools, and she would take them and give them to us, and then one day, we went to our friend's party and she like stole something from his older sister's closet and we were like whoa that's crossing the line like we know her yeah but on a smaller scale it's like still the same thing like we weren't like we're not friends with you we were just like "Mm, that was a little tasteless yeah maybe don't do that right yeah and so if this seems like oh this is fucking skewed man well especially when you're a teenager and these people are so rich that maybe it just felt like a sweatshirt to them Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's true. But he wasn't actually that rich. So he was like... But they didn't know that. But they didn't know that. Right. Exactly. So so the, the detectives learn that he's been in and out of rehab since he was 14. He has a huge Jesus. cocaine habit and he dropped out of rehab the last time. I don't know if you could just... Dr- I mean, like, you can drop out of rehab, but, like, it shouldn't be called dropping out. <laughs> he checked himself out of rehab. <laughs> And as the trial is ramping up, Chambers is trying to get out on bail, and his defense attorney, Jack Littman, gets this letter from the Archbishop of Newark, Theodore McCarrick. Do you know who this is? No. Okay. Uh, We'll talk more about him later. But he writes a bail letter for Robert, calling Robert gentle, talking about his character, painting him out to be this altar boy. Yeah, don't ruin his future for a a moment of indiscretion, yada, 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 yada. And at this time, McCarrick was on his way to becoming like the number one cardinal in the U.S., which he did become. Right. And so is my assumption correct that if you're the number one cardinal in the United States and you you ask me if I know about this guy, it's because he covered up some kid touching? Yes, he would later become the only U.S. Catholic cardinal, current or former, ever to be criminally charged with child sex crimes. So he was the so he did it the least amount of times because he was the fall guy. Oh, I mean that's how I. If it's like a mob, if it, that's the way the mob works, right? Yeah, You'll, you give him like a middleman. But anyway, great stuff. Great stuff. So now the weight of the Catholic Church is behind Chambers, and no one. That's not on Chambers's council. Understands why someone of McCarrick's stature is backing this kid. Sure. So who? So whose bar did he hang out in? Well, Linda. Okay. Farstein. Linda Farstein drives to talk to McCarrick, and he admits, like, I didn't know any of the details of the case, and I don't know Robert. That's what he says. 
So he just got a letter? So it's like, why the fuck did he write this letter? Yeah, right? So, but then it later emerges that he is Chambers' godfather. What the fuck? How do you... Okay, okay. So he lied. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> He's literally bearing false witness. It's a, it's one of the big ones that you're not supposed to do. And like, this is easily verifiable. Oh, I've never met this person before, except for at his christening. <laughs> so his mother, Chambers' mom, was super entwined with the church. Because she was cleaning every everyone's mess up? She was their nurses. Yeah, I don't know, Fuck. but something it was fucked up there. And so he gets bail. His bail was set at 150000 in 1986. So that's a lot of money. Yeah. And people in the church are like putting up their life savings for Robert's oh bail. Fucking God. So he gets out on bail on October 1st. Now the church is trying to like cloak him in their holiness. Like literally like one priest was like, he can live with me in my basement. So he does. Mm-hmm. And but he goes right back to partying in Soho. His girlfriend, Alex, went to see him and said, like, I felt really sorry for him. And I was comforting. I him. forgive him. It was that slut Jenny. Right. He had been like writing her letters his whole time in prison. So they're hanging out and they're playing Mad Libs. And she notices that he has a huge stack of tabloids with the headlines about the murder in his room, mm-hmm. like by his bed. And so she said that she said like half jokingly, like, I guess if you got what you want, you're famous now. And she no. said that his face like shook her to the core. Like he was like doing like a smiley smirk. And she realized like he likes it. Yep. Like he's enjoying he this. It. And she ran home and like never talked to him again. Good. Good for you. <laughs> you forgave him one too many times but good for you <laughs> you finally got there okay so then they find out there's like a seventy thousand grand theft larceny charge because he where he's a suspect or it's a yeah. tra- i can't remember if he was a suspect or there's a charge against him but like he stole a bunch of stuff they found his license on the fire escape and the investigator <laughs> called him but he was like what a fucking moron he said, oh, I lost my license. And this is what the investigator said. The oh, cat, he was young and handsome. And he said he lost it. So Shut but, the quote, fuck he was up. young and handsome. And he said he lost it. Like people can't, are enamored with this guy who I think is not very fucking cute. Does he have like a golden dick or something? <laughs> what is wrong with this? Like, but so, so you, uh, you ever see the 30 rock episode with John Hamm and he's like in the bubble and he like is so horrible at everything, but no one has ever told him that he's bad at everything. Cause he's so handsome. That sounds like this. That's this guy, right? Where he's just like the worst fucking criminal in the world. He's like leaving his driver's license on the fire escape and is just so handsome that he's like, nah, I don't know. A cat took it. Yeah, so they let him go. So, but there were they had picked up latent fingerprints in the bathroom of that robbery and they had come back unknown, but now they have his prints because they booked him for murder, so they compare the prints from the bathroom of the robbery to his and it's a match. Okay, I hate this. <laughs> I'm so mad right now. And his partner in all of this was this guy, David Filia, and he's a known rapist who stabbed a girl in the inch of her life. Okay. So what, what more evidence do you need at this point? <laughs> well, 
I want to show you the New York Magazine cover because it's about this time that this magazine story comes out. Robert Chambers, East Side Story. Oh, right, East Side Story, right. And so he looks like a Gordon Gecko, right? He's like, he's like in a nice suit on the cover, looking very uh, in in command. There's like a tiny picture of Jennifer. Yeah. What is the a death cover that line shocked say? the city? Uh, Robert Chambers, Jennifer Levin, and a death that shocked the city by Michael Stone. Um, so I, that was what I read part of it to you earlier, and I think yeah. I have more of that coming. But the fact that that a man wrote the story that a man making decisions at one of the biggest magazines, New York Magazine, is not just a city magazine. At that time, it's a national magazine. When yeah, we were in no, Boston, it was huge. Um, so you have a man deciding to put this man on the cover, looking like a cover model, like fucking. Yeah, like he's in a fucking Benetton ad or something. Yeah. This is men playing games to protect one another. A hundred percent. And they're painting that Robert is a saint. Jennifer is a dirty sinner who like crazy sex. There is another headline that was called Jennifer keeps a sex diary. This like headline went viral. Oh, shut the fuck up, you guys. So the, her mom was like, she had a date book like everyone else. It said like going like this time mall with Susie, you know? Right. Well, the prosecution, blah, 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 right. Not the prosecution. The defense like subpoenas it and they're like, no fucking way. You're not getting it. But they were obsessed with it. They were obsessed. And so by the even though I don't know if they ever got it or didn't or if it just wasn't damaging at all, the damage was already done because the sex diary headline was all that people remembered. Honestly, it's better that the that the the prosecution it's better for the defense that they never got the diary because then anything is in the diary. Exactly. So, yeah, the media is really not helping the situation, but they haven't seen the crime photos yet. And no medical examiner has said publicly how she died. But the medical, but between us, you know, what was later, what came out later between is between you and me and no one else. No, just what came out later was that it was ruled, uh, death was ruled ex asphyxiation by strangulation mm-hmm. definitely been, not a death by suplex she had been bleeding from her mouth oh my god and the prosecutor's theory was that like she was gagged with something and what could it be well there was a jean jacket at the scene and it was okay. hers that's how they actually id id her body her id her from her jacket she had her she had her at her license in her jacket her wallet so we're so now we're looking at her fucking lungs to see if there's fibers of the jean jacket inside not quite um we are coming up on the uh beginning of dna okay it had never yet been used in yeah. a case in the country but it was up and coming so they submit the denim jacket uh i think they said like the forensic analysis place was in virginia and they're like so excited. Yeah, it must be some kind of like federal, right? Cause like, because that's where like Langley is or whatever. Yeah. So they say it's going to be six months to get oh, the finding. Oh, shit. Okay. So this better come back fucking for the, for the prosecution or else they're really fucked. We waited six months, blah, blah, blah. Yep. So the preliminary DNA results show that there's blood and saliva on the jacket and it is ruled to be the murder weapon or theorized to be the murder weapon 
Right, because she aspirated into it or whatever. So the defense moves to have it stricken from evidence because DNA is not reliable. Mm-hmm. But but they're still typing the blood, right? It's the same blood type. It's the same whatever. Mm-hmm. But the judge grants it, and the jury never hears what <sighs> DNA what DNA evidence showed about the murder. If you're going to tell me that Robert gets off for this, I already know he does. You don't have to fucking even say. I I I figured it out that they feel they're never going to get him for this, and now I'm mad. They might. They might. Or he might just OJ himself. <laughs> Star in a reality show? So the prosecution can't intru- is also not allowed to introduce the robberies as evidence in the trial. Of course not. But if you remember, her body was found with all of its jewelry missing, and they're not allowed to bring this up. In fact, there was one photo of Jennifer early that night at Dorian's that's part of the evidence that with will be shown at trial. On. And they had... T- the prosecution was made to put tape over her ears so that the earrings that he stole would not be shown in the photo. Because it would be prejudicial because he hasn't been proved that he stole that stuff yet. So you yes. gotta... Oh my fucking God. Okay, sure. It's, it's, it's incredible how well the justice system works for guilty rich white dudes. I know. So reporter Rosanna Soto did a story on the five things the jury wouldn't know about Robert Chambers. One, his videotape statement changed four times while he was talking to the police. Dope. Two, that he was a suspect in at least a dozen burglaries. Three, he had a serious drug problem. So I will say, being a suspect in burglaries and having a drug problem do not necessarily mean that you are a rapist. However, that her jewelry was stolen might put you there. There could be a connection. Um, number four, that he told an EMS tech who asked how he hurt his hand, I hit something very hard, which is not what he said when he said the backflip story. Right. So wait, what did he say now? An EMS tech said, how'd you hurt your hand? And he said, I hit something very hard. Okay. And, and in the, in the suplex story, he fell on it. Yeah. Okay. And that $70 was missing from Jennifer's wallet and... Her earrings covered in the evidence photo were also missing. Great. So the prosecution has to put forth their theory of what happened, but they can't include the murder weapon. There was like a pair of underwear under the tree away from the body. And so they start to suggest like maybe something sexual started and then like maybe he couldn't perform and got angry Mm -hmm. or that she started like lecturing him about drugs. Because one thing (laughs) that they said about their friendship was like, like her sister said that like she really liked robert and would tell her like close confidants like he needs help he needs my help right i can fix him yeah total so um the another theory was maybe when she went to go pee she, and she came back she found him stealing the money out of her purse and then nobody they had no good Really, they didn't have a strong theory. All they know is that for some reason he attacked her and strangled her until she I was also, dead. I also kind of think that they're overthinking it. I think that he just like was a shitty dude, heard the word no, and then killed somebody about it. Well, Robert's face was completely vacant the entire trial. They bring up her friends to set the scene for the night before the killing to establish her character. But then every time those kids are cross-examined, their words are twisted to make it sound like, you know, she wanted sex and that wasn't okay because she's a woman. Right. 
And the whole church is there to support Robert, like the whole clergy. Yeah, so he looks like an altar boy. Yeah. Who didn't want to have sex in the first place, and she tied him up and jerked him off. Or is that still part of the story or no? Yeah, that's, oh, that's his story. Fucking stupid. Um, yeah, so he's painted as the good, clean Catholic boy, and then he never takes the stand, so they can't cross-examine him, so they can never bring up his criminal background or any questions they want to ask or, like, show just that he's a flaky liar. That doesn't happen. So the jury deliberates for days, and one of the jurors spoke anonymously in the docuseries and said that the question that they couldn't decide was intent. Did he intend to kill her or not? And there were eight people who voted guilty and four who voted not, and they were stuck at 8-4. And he said literally one juror faked a heart attack, one locked himself in a fridge. They were breaking down mentally. It had been nine days. What faked a heart attack to just like get out of this? Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. And they can't agree beyond a reasonable doubt what happened. Right. Holy sh... Oh my God. Okay. This is insane. So Littman, Jack Littman, offers a guilty plea of manslaughter that didn't include intent, but Robert had to admit he caused the death of Jennifer. And I'm like, he already admitted that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> what the fuck? And I'm, I'm sure Why he are refused we talking about to this? do that in some way. <laughs> so the prosecution takes it to the family, and they're just basically like, look, you're going to have a hung jury with him walking the streets for the next year and a half as we prepare for the next trial. And well, is that what you want to do? And so what do you think they did? They, 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 they settled. They fucking bailed. They took the plea. He won. They took the plea. I hate this. Before his hearing, or before his sentencing, he uh, made this apology question mark statement. Question mark. Yeah. (laughs) So let's hear that. Oh, good. Oh, good. We have it on, on tape. (laughs) You're going to hear that dramatic two-minute statement yeah. in its entirety. You may proceed. Today we came to, to see the end of a trial. A trial with no answers. A trial with no winners. Eleven family have gone through hell because of my actions, and I am sorry. For two years, I have not been able to say I'm sorry. I've not been able to say anything. But now I've, I wish to have my feelings known. Whoever said that Time heals all wounds is definitely wrong. Because how can how can these wounds heal? They linger forever, and the families will suffer. Jennifer's looking down on this now at the circus arena, looking and wondering why it all happened. And I don't know. I never wished any of this to happen. I never wanted any of this to happen. But her name will live on, not through memories, but by her family and her feelings. And I wish to apologize to the family and to her friends for all the trouble that they've gone through. I've never wanted any of this to happen to anybody. Oh my God, it's still going. To my family and friends, what a fucking I wish sociopath. to express my love and my gratitude for all they've done. I've only wanted to love them, but I never seemed to grasp what it meant. For those friends that kept the vigil, I thank them on behalf of their families, and I'm sure I can understand the feelings they had. For those that kept the faith, they're always in my prayers. And to Jennifer, nothing I can ever say will ever bring her back. But I am sorry. I just wish to thank the jury and the court officers for helping so much 
for giving me a fair trial. I listen. I try not to like read people's body language, or you know, like going through a trial is is a a weird, strange experience. So I'm not a body language expert, and I also think body language experts are kind of like quacks. But like this guy. Looks like Robert Chambers now 21 years old, <laughs> guilty as hell, and got the most punchable face in the world. I know. <sighs> he sentenced to five, five to fifteen years. Okay. And they let him go home for the night to spend the night with his family before he has to serve a sentence. Why not? He's <laughs> have a have a great night. So, like the guardian angels, you know who those they are. Mm-hmm. So they take to the streets. And, the Red Beret guys. Yeah. And they're like, you know, justice for Jennifer. So when, Je- when Chambers has to leave his house to go into custody, he wore a bulletproof vest, like under like a preppy sweater. You know, good. I'm not saying that he should be like assassinated in broad daylight, but like, be scared, dude. Yeah. Um, okay. So enter the tape. This tape comes out right after he's taken into custody. This, um, this. This recording of his confession? There's a tape. No, there is a tape that you don't know about. Oh, oh. Um, This is from the Associated Press. The preppy killer who strangled a young woman in Central Park was videotaped at a party shortly before his trial, frolicking with several scantily clad female friends and acting out two strangulations, according to a television news program. He did OJ it. The videotape obtained by A Current Affair, a nationally syndicated news program, was made at a late night party in a Manhattan apartment last December, about the time a jury was being selected for Robert Chambers' trial. In one of the most bizarre sequences of the approximately 40-minute tape, Chambers is seen sitting with his back to the camera, facing the young women, and playing with a doll. Suddenly, grinning, Chambers looks into the camera and twists the doll's head around. My name is, Chambers says in a falsetto, No. his voice trailing off. Oops, I think I've killed it. Both of, his, both of its eyes are like, he added before his voice trailed off again. At another point, Chambers performed a game of charades by grabbing his neck in a tight grip with his right hand and collapsing onto the floor. Holy shit. <laughs> How the fuck did the, process, the, the defense keep this under wraps for this long? No fucking idea. Smoking gun, man. Well, the good news is that after the trial, Attorney General Robert Abrams contacted Ellen Levin, Jennifer's mom, and he sent her a bill that he was working on. And this bill said that you can't bring up a victim's sexual past into court. It's called a rape shield bill. Mm-hmm. So she called him back and said, like, well, what about dead victims? And he obviously agreed because he's sending it to her. Like, right. And so he says, if I add it, will you come to Albany and work with me? So she goes and they form a lobby group called Justice for All. And over 10 years, they passed 13 pieces of legislation for victims' rights in Jennifer's honor. That's good. It feels, I don't know, it feels like kind of too little, not too little, but it feels just too late. I, I I like, I don't feel like this is a triumph, unfortunately. It's not. I'm just telling the full story yeah. about women being phoenixes and rising from the fucking ashes because her daughter was murdered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and and this this I get. I'm like, it just like feels kind of like ho- like hollow, like like so sad that that basically her murder 
all but got away with it and we're like okay well we have this bill and they still do this thing right they still do this thing that this bill is trying to prevent mm-hmm. they do we just like i don't know they do it all the time yeah um so chambers could have been out in five but he's a piece of shit so he got busted for drugs like everything he broke every rule in prison they said and he ended up serving the full 15 years and was released in 2003 okay but then he gets booked again on first degree criminal sale of a controlled substance second degree assault and second degree burglary what a guy and he's sentenced to 19 years so he's currently at sullivan correctional sullivan 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 correctional facility in new york and he's scheduled for release in 2024, and he will be 58. Um, good. Fuck him. Well, let's go to the summer 2018. No. What happened? Remember Theodore McCarrick? The, um, the priest guy? Yeah. So he's now in his 80s, and he's exposed as a pedophile priest who is having relations with his altar boys. And if you remember, Robert was one of his altar boys. No. And he was talking a little bit unhingedly about men getting raped. And it was hurting me. Yes. Oh, my God. So that's why he wrote the letter. Yeah, I think. I mean, I'm not a mind reader. So he allegedly told a victim to pray to be redeemed of his sins after the abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I fucked Just you, like, which made yeah. you unclean, so you should yeah. pray about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes total sense. Um, okay, so one of his victims said, like, when he was 16, McCarrick told him that his father wanted him to have a talk with him because he was being mischievous at home and not attending church. Then the man said that the two of them went for a walk around campus, and McCarrick groped him before they went back to the party and sexually assaulted him in a coat room-type closet after they returned to re- the reception. Mm. This is so fucked up. It is troubling. The ripple effect. Yeah, right. You think that the bad guy is Robert. Who it is, right? Well, it is, but he's not the first. Yeah, and and this is this is. I think we have mentioned this before. Is like there's no way that you will be able to get all of the rapists without like dismantling the entire culture that protects them. You know. And that will never happen. And that will never happen. There's too many people that are in power because of it. So I'm going to take you back to the killers now. Okay. The band. Right. Now, remember you had this idea, like, maybe it's a concept album. Yeah. How do you feel now? Uh, I mean, I, th- I still think that there's, there can be, like, kind of a, a loose narrative drawn within all of the songs, but... It feels like this is so. This murder is so specific and gripped the country in such a uh, a unique way that there would be other evidence in the record, in like the musical record, not the like legal record, to point to this murder. And I'm trying to think of "Smile Like You Mean It." Mm -hmm. Midnight Show is about being in a car, so that's not. They weren't in a car. So yeah, I think I think maybe not. Maybe it's just Jenny. Well, have you heard about the killer's so-called murder trilogy? Fucking no. So the murder trilogy is three songs that tell a full story that fans claim were supposed to appear on a single album in this order. Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf, Midnight Show, and Jenny was a friend of mine. Yeah, I do know Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf. Isn't that a cover, though? I don't think so. Isn't that on the... 
It's on sawdust. The B sides, whatever. Yeah. The BBs. (laughs) I just assumed because it's like such a cool song that it was a cover. We can listen. But it's not. It's by them. Great. Cool. I do do know all three of these songs. I just, for whatever reason, assumed that it was a cover. I love this song, too. So what is this song about? Um... I think it's like the girl, a girl's like walking out on him because mm-hmm. um, he's never satisfied. Oh no. It's coming. It's coming in a second. I forgot about this line. Oh, Jennifer, you know I always try. Before you say goodbye. Yeah, so it's it seems to be about addiction, right? Like he he's choosing bourbon over her. They're breaking up. They're yeah, they're yeah. He's she's leaving him, and he's like, "Well, I'll just drink myself to death then." Okay. And what's on the cover of Sawdust? A fucking arm. A severed arm. Woods. A severed <laughs> in arm woods? in the woods. Oh my god! I hate it when you do this to me. Where you like downplay everything? You're like, "Well, there might be a couple connections. Whatever." Some people on the internet claim that this is part of it. Jennifer, tell me where I stand and who's that boy holding your hand? That transitional chord going back from hand up to there, that chord doesn't belong in the, um, that's like a major chord that doesn't belong in the scale. It's called a subdominant major. So if the, if the, let's say the, 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 it's in the key of A, that would be going from the G to the E major to the A, and it should be E minor. So that major G sharp is coming from a different scale, and it's like, it like scratches my brain in such like a, a satisfying way, and I try to I do that like exclusively. I never use the, I never don't do it, um, <laughs> and they also also do this, and it makes me happy. Drink it by myself And I love you endlessly Darling, don't you see I'm not satisfied
Um, well, let's go to Midnight Show. Okay. Drive faster, boy. You can keep a secret. away without a word. So yeah, the singer of this song has made a mistake that he must uh, go away and she turned to scream and no one heard her cry and all this stuff. Sounded kind of murdery. A little murdery. And like a little creepy, like uh, you got a real short skirt. I want to look up. I took my baby's breath beneath the chandelier of stars and atmosphere and watched her disappear into the midnight show. I'm going to listen to this whole record after we're done recording because this, this album's so good.
so then the last song in the so-called murder trilogy is Jenny Was a Friend of Mine. Right. But these songs did not appear on Hot Fuss this way at all. No. Midnight Show is number 10, track 10, and Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf is on 2007 Sawdust, which... It's a bunch of B-sides. It's a bunch of B-sides. And if you believe the murder trilogy story, then I think you'd perhaps have to abandon the idea that this is related to the preppy murder at all. Yeah, because there's a car involved and there's like a relationship that is ending. Yikes. Well, Brandon Flowers and Ronnie addressed the murder trilogy in a 2005 interview. What'd they say? We call it the trilogy. Uh, It's um, Jenny was a friend of mine. Midnight Show and Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf. Uh, Leave the Bourbon on the Shelf is not on the album uh, anywhere. And it's um, basically it's part one and then Midnight Show is part two and Jenny was a friend of mine is a reflection of what happened in one and two, I guess. And uh, we would like to make, I guess it's like 25 minute short movie, long video, however you want to look at it. Uh, And, you know, release it. on a DVD at Sundance. I don't know, can. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're speaking to directors and, and reading through little uh, scripts and whatnot and talking to different actors. Right now. That's what I did. Well, he's not right. He might be a good part, though. Maybe yeah, we can use his be, eyes for something. He has those eyes. Yeah. So you guys are seriously looking at actors and, you know... Yeah, but, old, but, but, but older actors. I think we want to stay away from, like... Um, and it's not saying anything about, uh, about uh, young actors today. I just think it's, it's, it, the storyline is probably better suited with, with established uh, older actors. It's not like... It, it's, we don't want it to be a kid movie, you know? Um, it Anthony be, Hopkins. Yeah. So, in fact... Brandon Flowers and the band have never once said that this is about the preppy murder. Right. This is like some some internet theory. So what so what so what do you got for me? You just took me on that whole you just bummed me out for no reason. Uh I took you on the journey of the preppy murder only to find out that no, it's the murder trilogy. So this is this 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 mirrors in fact the time that I met the killers. Oh, tell me. Okay, so right when, right after Hot Fuzz, Hot Fuzz came out, so it was fall of two thousand and four in the U.S. This is my this is my story. Is now the good time for the story? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was a big big fan based on the what I heard on the radio, and I had gotten I think the whole record at that point. And so they came to Boston, and it was like a fre- it was like November of my freshman year of college in 2004 and so i went with my roommate or floor mate scott scott Spice, and um we went to the roxy which i don't think exists anymore but the 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 sh- the tour had been booked before the like extreme early success of hot fuss so the roxy was like not a big venue i think it was like yeah, 500 people I've been there. And so, well, but we're, we're doing like a podcast. nightclub too. Later. It was like a nightclub. Yeah. So, so the show was early because we all had to be out by 11 so that the nightclub could start. Um, and I didn't have tickets. And this was like, I think the first concert I ever went to where I was like, well, we'll just get tickets kind of, we'll just like scalp them. It's fine. Hmm. <laughs> and so we went super early, Scott and I, and 
this was very like I don't think I had ever seen a killer's music video at this point because okay. like so early in their careers and so they uh we were like looking around for people to buy tickets really like striking out and so we go to there's there's this chinese restaurant next door which i'm sure has closed down since then and we're like having a bite to eat and i see these five dudes sitting in the corner and like they're wearing sunglasses inside and they're in like tight pants and they look like they haven't showered and i'm like i know a fucking band when i see them <laughs> so that's the that's the killers right. i just know it and so i walk up to them i'm i think i just turned 19 and i'm like hey guys are you the killers <laughs> and they're like yeah and i'm like oh my god huge fan huge fan didn't know what he looked like trying to get into the show don't have tickets and i like left a pause there because i was like eh? Like, yeah. are you going to give me the tickets? And they're like, okay, well, good luck. <laughs> and okay, so they leave. We eat our food. We go back. We finally pay like way too much money for these tickets. It is the single most crowded show I've ever been to. <laughs> and the first band was a band called Surfer Rosa. They, t they take the stage. They're okay. And then the killers come on. And they are the guys that I saw in the restaurant. But they're not playing any killers songs. And so, so the first song, I'm like, that's, that's kind of bold, them opening with, like, new material. <laughs> and so, like, three, four songs in, and I'm like, they have not played a single song that I recognize yet. And it turns out that they were, that was the opening band. Who were they? They were called Ambulance LTD, or Ambulance Limited. <laughs> and they had just said yes to this random kid who was like, are right. you the killers? And so <laughs> believed I was like, I believe them. And I was like, so fucking mad. I was like <laughs> furious. Fuck this fucking band. So like they like had hits later on. And every every time they would like come on the radio or I'd see a music video from them on like MTV. You I'd be like, fuck this fucking band. <laughs> But then the killers came on, the actual real killers came on, and it was like, you know, you ever experienced like the crush at the concert where everyone like runs up to the front? Yeah. This was the most I had ever experienced that. To this day still, I I could pick my legs up off the ground and not go anywhere. Whoa. It was like the the entire crowd had become like a gelatinous solid. <laughs> and it ruled they played all the killer songs that i knew oh yeah um but i was they so did not fucking start mad. with the cover they did well, not start with a new song or a cover similarly if you remember when red came out the taylor's version of the album and every single person on twitter was like why is it a man and it was like because you have to change the speed <laughs> oh right 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 so i knew that I saw that go down. I get the album. I put it on and I like hear this man and I like think, oh, she must be like doing a song with the national or something. And I'm you like, still, that's <laughs> you still, it had been explained to you. I know. And I was thinking like, that's bold that she would start with the national or whoever this fucking is. No, no, <laughs> just fell for it. <laughs> yeah. So ambulance LTD, if you're out there, if you're listening, fuck you. Well, on that note, what are we going out on today? What are we going out on today, Lindsay? Today we're going out on Jenny Jenny. Ah, oh, so I saw this band too, and they opened and closed with this song. No way. No way. Why did you see this band? They opened for like Finch or some like 
pop punk emo band. I was like, it was very weird. All right. Well, um, we're going out on Jenny, and this is just a final reminder to everyone that is writing on the internet in news articles that the killer's song is about the preppy murder that is false. Not all Jennies are alike. Exactly. When, th- when did this song come out? Because what if this song is about the preppy murders? <laughs> 1981. Five <laughs> years before the preppy murders. So this is this is Jenny slash 8675309 by I have a, I actually have a story about this too before we go. So there's this kid that I went to high school with named Jason who worked at Best Buy and he got the phone number because like they sold phones, right? So he registered the phone number. 267, which is the Philly area code, 8675309. He's like, I'm going to sell it on eBay and pay for my college. And I guess, I think he sold it for like $2,000, which didn't pay for his college, but still. Not a bad scheme. Yeah, not bad, right? I like that. Where can people find us on the internet? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. And for longer and weirder stuff, hit us up at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. If you want to support the show, go to lyricsforlunch.com and click support. If you know what murder this song is about, <laughs> hit us up. Uh, let us know. Tell your friends. It's the best way to help people find us. And tune in next week when we have a very special guest. TikTok personality extraordinaire, friend of the show, Patrick Hicks. And we're going to be talking about Mariah Carey's fantasy. Woohoo! Woohoo! So until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, drive faster, boy. (laughs) 